Hi everybody, welcome back to Metaphysical Life Mastery Channel. I uh, hope you all had a nice holiday. Happy, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Hope your family's well. And hope you are enjoying your time off if you haven't. Hopefully you didn't go out there and get toe up in them Black, uh, Black Friday lines, job. Hopefully you are safe and well and secure. Alright, uh, I had a very strange <laughs> dream last night. I have to laugh because this shit was off the damn chain. Um, I had like, it wasn't even, I wasn't even in REM or rapid eye movement sleep. Now, if you don't know what rapid eye movement sleep is, I'll tell you. It's after you've been asleep for a certain number of hours, your eyes rapidly move or flutter, sometimes visibly from underneath, the, from outside of the eyelid, but rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep or REMS or, or just REM sleep, REM sleep is a new, a new unique phase of sleep that is in mammals and birds, which is distinguishable by random or rapid eye movement of the eyes, uh, accompanying it with low muscle tone throughout the body or the body being limp and uh, flaccid as we would say, and the propensity of the sleeper to dream very vividly, okay? Now, I'm also going to say with you, spiritually, a lot of attack can happen during rapid eye movement sleep, okay? Now, typically, rapid eye movement sleep occurs about 90 minutes after you fall asleep, but it can be as much as two to three hours later, okay? Because I've read in some books that it can take two hours. For REM to begin, sometimes three hours, depending on the person. The first period of rapid eye movement sleep usually lasts about 10 minutes. And then each of the subsequent or later stages gets longer and longer. And the final one can last up to an hour. That final one can cause your heart rate and your breathing to quicken. And it can also cause you to begin perspiring, you know, sweating. And that's related to that increase in heart rate and also what you're seeing in the dream or vision. So last night... I didn't feel I was in a deep sleep because I noticed that I have certain sleep phases. Like if I just fall asleep for a while and I know I'm going to wake up later, I don't consider that REM sleep because I don't always dream. But if I'm going to bed for the night, say if I fall asleep or go to take a lay down for a while at 6 p.m. and I know I'm going to get up around 9, REM sleep could happen, but... It may not happen until I get up at 9 and then go back to sleep at 9.30 or 10 and then sleep for several hours after that. So for me, it's different because I have um, intermittent insomnia. I don't sleep all the way through the night. I get up every three hours or every four hours on average. So and I'm not up for long all the time, but I'm usually always up around the 2.30 mark. So... Last night I laid down and I didn't think I would sleep that long. It could have been about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. And I had this dream about Jeffree Star, allegedly. Jeffree Star, the huge beauty guru person, influencer, being a damn vampire. I don't know why I saw him like this. Now, when you look at his face, he looks like a fucking vampire anyway. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they did a tour or he did a tour of his house one time. And I think there was a coffin in his house, a pink coffin. And then he has that goth look, but what I saw in the dream was that he's a very vicious vampire, and um, 
I was there watching him attack other people. Like, and then like the other people didn't know I was there. He knew I was there. He could see me. He could sense me. The other people though, that he was chasing down and tearing apart were not aware that I was there. But when he would take off running after them and I would be standing nearby, my ass took off running too, because I didn't know if he was going to try to chase me, you know, I didn't know who he was really after at first in the beginning of the, of the dream. So I would take off running too, but it was a very dark dream. It was clearly him. It was clearly him. Clear as day. I'm not mistaking this individual for anybody else. It was Jeffree Star. Okay, and all of this is allegedly, you don't have to believe it, but the dream seemed like it went on for a long time. And when I woke up, I was really feeling disturbed and I felt like I had been running and I felt like I had actually been there because I actually was there why else would he be in my dreams I don't think about Jeffree Star come on now now somebody was talking about him a couple days ago some black women were talking about how they been got off of his channel on some other place on YouTube but other than that I haven't thought about him in a very long time now it has been coming up on my feed that he's involved in some drama but who's, you know, who's surprised by that? The beauty influencer genre on YouTube is full of fucking drama. All of those makeup gurus, they stay going at each other. Like, that's the number one dramatic place on YouTube is the beauty channels. Especially the ones that are run by gay men or trans men. Trans, excuse me, trans women. So, just want to drop that. So, I kind of felt in my spirit a long while ago before I ever, I mean, months ago, I said, he's got a vampire energy about him. And I said, that's why this motherfucker's rich. It ain't got really a whole lot to do with your makeup because there's some good makeup artists out there that are not on his level. You know, I said, this motherfucker's a vampire and that's why he's rich and that's why he's in Hollywood. And so then it led me to thinking about what I said about Dionne Warwick being allegedly a vampire, Burt Bacharach. And the castle in the hills or foothills or lower mountains of California where there are vampire rituals going on and where there's a coven of vampires. There's several covens around there, but um, I'm going to have to look at a map to kind of uh, pinpoint this area that I'm talking about because I don't know California like that. I don't know all the little towns. I just know that if somebody says the name of a California town... If they don't say like Irvine, California, if they say Irvine, I know Irvine's California. If they say San Jose, I know that's California, San Diego. You know, I know the names by hearing it, but I have not looked at a map of California in a long time. So I'm going to have to go in and read a map and look at a map and narrow down where this place is because I caught a vision of it. And when I went and looked at it on Google, there is a castle in the area. So that's, see, that's the crazy thing. I had told y'all about a castle... On another podcast episode, I think it was the one where I mentioned, it might have been a reading where I talked about Dionne Warwick and them. And I said, there's a castle in the foothills of California. And then I got a vision of where it is, but I'm going to have to look on the map to try to triangulate it and give you at least some kind of 50 mile radius of exactly where it's at. I haven't been to California in years. The last time I was there was mm, 2002. So it's been a long, long time for me. But Jeffree Star, the one, of the one of the main reasons he's rich is because he took on a vampire spirit, allegedly, when he was about 17 years old. At first I said, was it 16 or 17? But no, spirit says 17 years old. And notice that eight number, right? That magician energy. 
Now, a lot of you will say, well, uh, what does that have to do with anything? Well, vampires are rich. If you notice <laughs> in the movies, they always depict them as being some wealthy ass motherfuckers. Okay, so why are they rich though? But before I go into that and tell you why they're rich and read you some information that I did not author uh, about tropes and remember tropes are not just tropes okay i'm gonna tell you the truth behind tropes so when we think about you know for example the strong black woman trope the independent strong or mad black woman trope that's not just a trope which a trope is a storytelling device or convention and it also can be a shortcut for describing situations in a storyteller manner and it uses kind of like allegory or metaphor it is used to reasonably assume that the audience will recognize this trope or this this archetype okay tropes are not just tropes it is a use of figurative language via word phrase or image and it can also be used for artistic effect such as using a figure of speech okay the word trope has also come to be used for describing commonly recurring literary and rhetorical devices motifs or cliches in creative works now we know motifs are really connected to symbolism iconography and therefore the spirit realm okay that is what the tarot and other um symbols invoke they invoke that motif a certain motif which then brings the energy in okay so just because i'm going to read it to you as a trope of the vampire being rich doesn't mean that it's not literal in real life because every time they show you in movies and on tv the vampires are always real fucking old looking young real fucking rich and they always leeching energies from other people this shit is real in the spirit realm okay it's real vampire spirits vampiric spirits vampiric energy energy vampires are all real okay so but tropes are not the same as cliches so keep mind of that now, before I get into that, telling you about why vampires are rich or that they are rich and using some examples for you. Rick James' face popped up in my spirit, too. When I was talking to the Most High about Jeffree Star and, and what I had seen in a dream and asking what this means. And Rick James' face popped up like, you know how on those comic books, in the artwork in the comic books, they have those little bubble clouds, those little word clouds with three little dots and then the cloud and then the link the what the person's thinking and then they write the words in there or like what are those things those are called thought clouds what are they called i hate not knowing the name of stuff yeah thought clouds that's what they're called basically thought clouds so rick james face popped up in my spirit when i was talking to the most high about jeffree star and kind of trying to replay that dream because that dream was very intense that i had a jeffree star and I quickly start, it started to slip away from me as soon as I woke up. And that's demonic, of course. There is such a thing as demonic dream rinsers. They will try to make you forget your dreams. And usually they are successful at it. Okay. Because there, there's important information in the dreams. Okay. But there's things you can do to mitigate that. I have to talk about that another time. But Rick James' face popped up in, in, in a thought cloud. Just like, it was like black. The background was black and I was seeing this replay of Jeffree Star and this whole vampire uh, killing spree he went on in my dream. And it was like an old warehouse, an old metal warehouse and a maze. 
like people were trying to run away from him and get out of windows and get out of doors they were some of them were able to get out of windows but somehow he was able to catch them and then other people were trying to get out of doors the doors were locked it was a very small area that he had them trapped in somehow and i was just watching all this go on and then when i was replaying it and hearing spiritual communication from the most high then there was a black background of this replay and then in the top I guess what you would think of as looking up in the ceiling like towards the corner of a wall if you look up in the ceiling like if I'm looking straight ahead meaning parallel to the floor and I'm seeing all this replay like in panoramic view of Jeffree Star's killing spree or allegedly all of a sudden in the top part is black every the only thing that's in color that I'm seeing is the actual scene of the of the movie if you will everything else around it is black and then above that scene towards the top of the ceiling in the corner of the wall pops rick james face i don't know what that's about i was supposed to get more information on that but i was told i need to go to sleep so i went to sleep because i would have been up for hours thinking about that so the Holy Spirit was like, just go to sleep. We'll talk to you about Rick James later. So I don't know what Rick James' relation is to this. I'm going to try to get some more information on that for you guys and then come back and talk about it. But the reason why vampires are rich is because they leech other people's energies. They The life is in the blood, like the Bible says. Your blood is not only just connected to your life force, your lineage, your ancestry, your soul mission, your spirit your spiritual prowess your strength as a person in this realm is also connected to your ability to manifest wealth and that's why there are such things called blood banks they could have called it something else they could have called it a blood store they could have called it a blood warehouse they could have called it whatever why is it called a blood bank because it's about fucking currency banking your money all right your ability to manifest that's why it's called blood money okay blood money so this is why they're rich i ain't never seen a poor broke ass no offense to less fortunate or poor so i hate that word poor but less fortunate or lower income people no offense to them but i ain't never seen no poor broke ass vampire in my life never never and probably never will see a poor broke ass vampire because it's anathema to what uh how they work they're they're automatically going to be rich because you take in energy from other people right so in most vampire fiction vampires tend to be filthy rich or at least very comfortably loaded it's presumed that over the years they've managed to save and squirrel away money so that they can have a comfortable lifestyle plenty of security so that nobody comes in and stakes them in their sleep and a fabulous wardrobe child. Now, if you have Hulu, go on Hulu and watch Shadowhunters. The vampires on that show are filthy rich. Shadowhunters on Hulu. Now, I don't know when next season is coming out. Because I see one of the werewolves is now about to star. The lady werewolf, the black lady werewolf, is about to star in a movie with Justin Timberlake. Alicia Wainwright. So, I don't know if Shadowhunters has been canceled. I haven't looked it up. But I love that show. That show will teach you a lot about the spirit realm. And it's based in New York City. So pay also attention to that shit. Okay, the link for the show will be in the description box. One of the best shows that have come out 
on the esoteric in the occult in a long time talks about the nephilim the half human half angel warriors which a lot of you are earth angels and you don't even know it or incarnated angels now contrary to popular belief the nephilim are not just fallen angels mixed with humans there are righteous or benevolent angels that also have children here that's my belief it nobody ever may nobody may not tell you that all right nobody may not tell you that but there are i believe there are people who are related to the benevolent angels meaning the ones who didn't rebel on this earth okay i'll talk about that another time if i can remember <laughs> If I don't remember, y'all just comment and say, hey, remember you said you were going to talk about the righteous angels related to the human bloodline? Rem y'all remind me if I forget to talk about that. Now, that may not align with nothing your pastor say, your preacher say, your elder say, your um, mambo say, your babalawo. None of them may not tell you this shit that I'm going to tell you. But I ain't never going to lie to you and I ain't never going to tell you something that I don't think is right. So... It may be some, it may sound crazy, but I'm going to tell you and just if I forget to come back within the next couple of weeks and do that episode about angels, then just remind me in the comments if you don't mind or email. But, um, so shadow hunters will be in the description box. So some vampires certainly look like rich idiot with no day job, which is a vampire and others may be non-idle rich and manage to be financially enterprising generally justified in that the vampire is hundreds of years old and thus has had plenty of time to accrue his wealth or her wealth and invest it via the slow path version of a compound interest compound interest excuse me huh, compound interest time travel gambit now this is a website a wiki website about tv tropes that i'm reading so they're got links to other things so i will put the link for this in the description box if you're interested you want to read it for yourself and click on the other links so basically being technically dead also saves you several bills child <laughs> as there is no need to buy food water health insurance yeah you get the idea you're self-healing like Wolverine, you heal yourself, bitch, you ain't never got to worry about no band-aids, no emergency room bill. You good. You good, right? <laughs> um, the other show I'm going to put in the description box for you all to show you that vampires are fucking rich. And even people who take on the vampire gene or the vampire spirit or the vampire blood phenotype and genotype, they also get rich or are usually rich. Because whatever's done in the physical, it has already been agreed to in the spiritual, okay? So if it's already manifested in the lower density, meaning 3D, then that means it's already been agreed to on a higher plane. It's already contractually um, signed off on or obligated. So if you, a lot of these rich people out here have vampire spirits, y'all. That's how they got it. So don't ever be envious of rich and wealthy people because you don't know what they did to get that. And I'm always going to tell you that. So the other movie that the other show, the series that you really, really should take time to watch on Hulu is The Strain by Guillermo, Guillermo, I'm about to butcher this man's name, Guillermo del Toro. Yes, Guillermo del Toro is his name. God, that's a, those trilling those R's is a little hard for a Southern girl like me because I'm not a native Spanish speaker. But um, 
Guillermo del Toro is also the writer and director or screen he was involved in the screenplays uh shows like uh Night of the Living Dead I want to say the remake and some other zombie apocalypse type movies right I his shows are gory so if you don't like blood and gore and guts don't watch anything by Guillermo del Toro okay but the show is by him five seasons of the strain you need to watch that show if you're interested in the vampire spirit the vampire energy how they work the mind control the psychosis uh the hive mindset aka the um demonic aspect of it um in that show they have a master vampire called the master <laughs> and they call him the master because it is direct anathema to the christ or known as Yeshua HaMashiach, they call this vampire lord the master, and the master controls all the other vampires in the show. So you, one of the ways that he transfers his vampire gene is through a parasite, a worm. And many months ago, you who are on my other channel or have been um, listening i may have said it on this channel this channel is kind of new but you who all you who have been listening to me for a while whether it be on this channel or some other social media posts have probably heard me say that parasites are demonic that they are a demonic invention well i got confirmation in that because i saw a parasitic worm which is named which is actually a demon portrayed in the movie gods of egypt the demon named apophis apop P-H-I-S, Apophis, is a sucker hooked mouth worm demon. And I also saw that portrayed in the in the Netflix show, The Chilling Tales of Sabrina. Sabrina, Apophis, a sucker worm, a nasty parasite, infiltrated a woman and she was possessed with a demon. These, these spirits are really trying to fuck with me, giving y'all this message. They're making me fuck with my words, fuck up my words. Hold on. So in that show, The Chilling Tales of Sabrina, there was a woman who became possessed by a demon and one of the ways they got the demon out of her is they did something, some kind of magic or hoodoo, and she coughed up a nasty ass, huge parasitic worm that looked like a giant ass tapeworm. It was not white like a tapeworm, but it looked like a giant ass tapeworm. So I said long before that show ever came out, long before the strain ever came out, I said that parasites are demonic i've even written emails to friends about that and said if you have parasites and you're having a lot of problems with that that is a demonic attack okay because it is a demonic invention now all the world has use for viruses bacteria and stuff but uh in general how a parasite behaves in the human body is the same way a demon behaves in the human body the same for a virus, the way the virus will try to will hijack the, the cell and infect the cell and implant its DNA in the cell and then make the cell replicate and produce more is the same way that demons behave in a host as well. Like the Bible says, when they have found the house, meaning the sanctuary, meaning the body swept and cleaned, they will bring seven more with them, meaning they will bring and multiply with more viruses. It's the same concept. It's the macrocosmic or the larger or the physical down to the microcosmic or the spiritual, vice versa. It's the same. It's the physical, the spiritual, even on a biological level. 
that's going to be another topic that I'll get deeper into on another day. So, tropologically, it's probably to do with this not needing uh, no food, no water, health insurance, etc. With the vampires, um, it goes back to the vampires being very decadent aristocrats going back to Count Dracula, a.k.a. Vlad the Impaler of Transylvania, which is a province in Romania, okay? Some people say he's the first vampire, but I don't know if that's true because I'm of the mindset that there are vampires older than him on the earth. So I can't, I won't say that he's the first because I don't believe he's the first. I just believe he's the first that became popular, but I believe there are other vampire spirits that are older than him because of the Naga. If you, have you heard of the Indian Naga spirit, which is half snake and they were vampiric. Naga, N-A-G-A. Look up Naga spirit. And you'll know what I'm talking about, okay? Now, in the strain, one of the ways that this master vampire spread his disease was through a nasty parasite that would leach onto your skin and burrow into your skin and your eye. If any of that blood, that so-called vampire blood, splattered on you, it had the worm, the parasite in it, and you automatically turned into a vampire. Eventually, you just started turning. You were no longer human after a while. And he could control you by way of his worms, mentally and spiritually. So both of these tropes of being wealthy and being aristocratic and decadent go back to the symbolic connection between literal blood sucking and the parasitic way of life of an assumed real life idle class or aristocrats or oligarchs or oligarchs, rich people, and the parasitic way that they do not support themselves by their own efforts, but they support themselves by exploiting the lower class or other people. Vampires in more recent times, such as the New Tens, which is linked in this article, are more likely to play with this trope. They might be impoverished patricians or patriarchs struggling to adapt to the modern age, which again parallels history, and so they are reduced to rat burgers. On the other hand, they could be an otherwise average Joe working nights. Par pardon me, I just drank some tea. Um... Some bubbles want to come up in my throat, but they didn't. Um, or they may be an otherwise average Joe working nights at the Quickie Mart in order to pay for a dark enough apartment to sleep in. Now, <laughs> there's something called the undead tax exemption. So here's something else about... Um, this is interesting. This is kind of a deep, a deep source, so I don't think I'm gonna put this in my description box. If you want this, you want this source for vampires being rich, then just email me. Excuse me, because some sources I'm not gonna put in my box because some of this stuff uh, I need to deduce, and people are not gonna understand it. So if you want it, just email me, and my email will be in the description box. When a masquerade of an extra normal person whether it's a spirit a time traveler a dimension hopper robot girl or in some case an immortal like a vampire it is 
able to suddenly enter society and seamlessly pose as a normal human person despite the major record gaps, lack of official citizenship, and other problems that would arise if it were to occur in real life. So space aliens in disguise and even aliens that don't need a disguise never seem to get the same problems with immigration that regular aliens have. So this character gets an undead tax exemption, which is also connected to the vampires. This is one of the reasons why they're rich. It is often implied they use mind control, which we talked about just now, or magic to either brainwash or literally quote-unquote magic up an identity for themselves. This is also known as shape-shifting. It is used or glamouring. Some, some um, vampires call it glamouring. And um, one of the things that they do with mind control or magic is they mesmerize. It's called on vampire diaries, they called it mesmerizing people when they would control their minds and change their thoughts. So this cooking up a magic identity for themselves is usually used by evil characters, monsters, and vampires because villains blend in better while the heroic ones will be a fish out of water due to the rule of drama. The heroic ones have something called the rule of drama. Now this is some deep information on this. So this undead tax exemption is a justified trope because Prior to the 20th century, records tended to be sparse and it was difficult to retrieve them and even more difficult to verify. So without some overriding need to justify efforts or a dissenting witness, identities and origins had to be taken at face value. In other words, you could say you was from wherever and they had to kind of believe you. If a character has been around for this time, passing themselves off as a descendant and then quote unquote dying and inheriting it several times, which vampires do, then this is the reason why the trope is justified. Okay, this is also, like I said, connected to the reason why they are rich. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. Somebody studied real vampires, and I'm going to read this article. One of the most popular articles on this site is a piece by Georgia Institute of Technology, or GIT researcher, John Edgar Browning about his work with the real vampire community published in March 2015. Now, John Edgar Browning, I would probably say, is related to the Browning man who created Browning firearms. Browning, in it, Browning discusses what a real vampire is, how they live their lives, and what researchers are hoping to learn about them. Here, he expands on the difficulties of finding and studying this enigmatic group of people as well as the lessons he's learned in the process so here begins the article it says with christopher rice's tantalizing tweet about the new vampire lestat television treatment and news of dr stoker and jd barker's dracula prequel dracul due out from putnam in october the topic of vampires again looms nigh for lovers of fiction in the supernatural. What happens though when the borders between fact and fiction fade into great uncertainty? For real vampires or demon vampires as they are otherwise called, this is a, the reality they live in with live with every day. What follows is not the full scope of their story. It's not even a little, but it's enough, I hope, to offer some insight and invite curiosity and perhaps for from some of us even to spur self reflection. Vampire fiction aside, 
there are in this world people who actually do drink blood from humans and animals alike or drain from others what they call psychic energy. It's a ritual performed not out of pleasure but need and it's normally done with the utmost care for their donor's safety and comfort. This need, according to them, arises from the lack of natural energies their bodies produce because they are dead. I'm telling, I'm inserting that part. They are dead. Fittingly enough, they've adopted the word quote-unquote vampire to self-describe their unusual predilection, one which they claim begins to surface just after puberty. Now, I said that he and Jeffree Star allegedly took on the vampire spirit at 17. That's right about prime time when young men are developing, right? Not fully developed yet, but that's right about prime time when their development is hitting full steam ahead, you know? So this part is called The Vampire Interviewer, and I will put this article in the description box because it's from Discover Magazine. By the way, I meant to tell you the date. date of this article is May 17th, 2018. Like I said, by John Edgar Browning from Georgia Institute of Technology. So it's legit. So he says, I know this because I've interviewed a number of real vampires face to face during the course of my research as a graduate student, much like Christian Slater's character in Interview with a Vampire. It's not all as glamorous as it sounds, though, nor as easy. Real vampires aren't particularly looking to be found, and if the comment section of articles on the topic is any measure, can we really blame them? It all started for me about nine years ago, shortly before I transferred from a doctoral program in English in southern Louisiana to one in American Studies in western New York. It was at the height of what some of us vampire scholars were calling at the time the quote-unquote vampire renaissance, and on October 26, 2009, I inscribed in my field journal a passage that resonates with me still today, both for its foretaste as well as, or perhaps especially because of, its naivete. Quote, Baton Rouge. We know if you watch the originals, it was based in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. The originals on Netflix. The originals was kind of the follow-up to Vampire Diaries. Baton Rouge, when attended Wicked New Orleans on Decatur Street in New Orleans on the 17th of October, things went extraordinarily well. Shop owner was happy to oblige me in every respect and went out of his way to volunteer information. In the initial five minutes of my speaking with him, he gestured towards the other end of the store to a lady in her 40s to 50s inspecting some clothing. Now let me stop and add my note in here. There's a lady who reads tarot on YouTube named Mystic Beauty, and she just went to New Orleans, and she said when she went to Marie Laveau's shop in order to get into the VIP section, or was it a bar? No, it was a bar on the street. I forgot the name of the bar, but she did a vlog on her channel, and if I can find the exact link, I'll put it in there. She, she went to a bar on Bourbon Street or near Marie Laveau's shop or connected to Marie Laveau's shop. I don't know. I ain't never been to New Orleans. I'm just recalling this from what I heard her say last week. And she said that in order to get into the VIP special section or the section that the normal public doesn't know about, you have to tell the person who guards the entrance the vampire sent me. Okay? So continue with the article. It says, I think she's a vampire, he said. 
and I believe that's her son with her. At this point, I was mildly embarrassed as I knew he expected me to go and confront her right then and there. I had not prepared for my first time to happen this way. Nevertheless, I walked over to the woman and intruded with a polite but simple, pardon me. With a look of complete surprise, irritation, and curiosity, she turned to me, looked me in the eyes, and said nothing. So I continued by introducing myself and my reason for being in the store. Then, finally, I said to her, which I must admit was incredibly awkward, do you know any vampires? I grinned embarrassingly, to which she returned a grin to reveal that two of her most prominent teeth had been filed down to a pair of incisors, fangs meaning. Her response, mm, yes, I might know a few. I quickly began asking her a few questions to make friendly conversation, but about what to this day I haven't the faintest recollection. I then proceeded to give her my contact info and politely asked if I might continue to speak with her at another time. While I did not ask for her own contact info, as this would be too intrusive, I did ask for her name. To my complete surprise, she stated simply, Jennifer. Well, I never saw or heard from Jennifer again. Jennifer was my first vampire, and at that time, I was sure she would be my last. How very mistaken I was. After I penned the above passage, mere days would pass before another similar experience propelled me to record in my notes again, this time my prose hardly masking my exhilaration. Quote, this is from his journal. Quote, at night along the Bonne Carre spillway, a narrow stretch of I-10 or Interstate 10 bordering Lake Pontchartrain in Louisiana's western shore can be seen afar in all its gothic splendor, the steel girdles and gaseous plumes that are the Shell Norco refinery, meaning oil refinery. A structure betraying its solitary life in the dark expanse through only a few points of orange light here and there. Theirs, the play of steel, gas, and faint orange light, has become by now a familiar sight to me in the hours just after midnight as I leave behind New Orleans and the French Quarter, a ritual I have repeated nearly every week for two months. The feeling is almost always the same. The silence along this stretch of interstate is deafening after the trumpeting frenzy of Bourbon Street. My clothes smell of liquor, cigarettes, and fine cuisines, and everything around me has fallen into a dead calm. But this night in late October is different. Tonight, after months of searching, I met and spoke at length with five vampires living in New Orleans, members of a community in which I am an outsider. This fateful encounter took place at Ye Old Original Dungeon, or simply The Dungeon, a nightclub located on Toulouse Street in the French Quarter. As I sat at the bar drinking a whiskey sour and jotting down field notes, the bartender there, with whom I had already talked about the study I was conducting, shouted into my ear over a corn song blaring overhead that I should go, quote-unquote, talk to those people as she passed a sideward glance at some folks who had just walked in. I stood and thanked her, hurriedly finished off my drink for courage, then proceeded with my leather satchel over to two young gentlemen dressed all in black and standing against a wall. What I tell y'all about that all black? Hmm, I told y'all about the warlocks too with that all black. Now that's not everybody. I love black myself and I wear black a lot, but I'm just saying, you'll know if you read energy, you'll know who's who. 
Okay. The first of these gentlemen, sporting a long, dark ponytail, looked to be in his mid-30s, and the second, crowned with a short, spiky, dirty blonde hair, looked to be in his early 20s. After introducing myself to the latter and explaining loudly that I was attempting to assess the number of and most prominent features and practices by which people in New Orleans self-identify as vampire, I asked simply, do you know any vampires? To this, he mockingly grinned and replied, are you kidding? And to my surprise and relief, a pair of fangs extended prominently from behind the young man's handsome smile, end quote. By early December, I would meet almost another two dozen vampires in New Orleans, and each one of them, beginning with Jennifer, taught me a valuable lesson about hiding in plain sight. Indeed, human vampires don't sim simply live among us, I would find. They are us in almost every detail. They are our teachers, our shop clerks, our bartenders, our antique dealers, our IT people, our friends, and for some even our family and loved ones. Some of us work with vampires every day or pass them on the street without ever knowing it. But to understand real vampires, how they think and how they act, we must understand our own reactions to them. In its dark corridors and gothic atmosphere, the dungeon afforded the vampires that night, that October night, nine years ago, relative safely. But what about outside its doors? In time, I would come to see these and other real vampires belittled by outsiders called freaks or mentally ill. One vampire would even confide in me that she feared losing custody of her daughter if her estranged ex-husband were to learn of her quote-unquote peculiarity. Although my research carried with it an important responsibility, I scarcely knew yet that night. Excuse me. Let me read that again. Although my research carried with it an important responsibility, I scarcely knew it yet that night at the dungeon. I went into the study expecting nutcases and dreamers, the stot wannabes and vampire fiction bookworms, but what I found were just people, same people who by and large avoided the stereotypes we associate with vampirism, save for the first-rate prosthetic things that some occasionally wear. It was who I'd been as the fool and not them. So I changed course and modified accordingly my prospective goals, becoming in the process more aware of my place among the people I was shadowing. As I did something rather unexpected, as I did so, something rather unexpected happened. The relationship between myself and the study participants progressed from being an auxiliary feature, excuse me, auxiliary feature of my study to a more central one. At the monthly group meeting of New Orleans vampire elders, I began to move from the periphery of the space we inhabited closer and closer to the inner circle, at first by their accord and then by my own. In essence, I was becoming they would later tell me, more and more just like one of the group, a sentiment I came to feel myself. In fact, their trust became a vital component of my research, as I would never have been able to collect my data without the close relationship I worked to foster. This relationship was hard-earned, however, from a community only recently shaken by a breach of trust from a mainstream news service.
In the wake of the Twilight craze during the late 2000s, meaning the Twilight movies, excuse me, the Twilight series on HBO, an ABC News 2020 special report on New Orleans vampire community aired on November 27, 2009, just days after the new moon's record-breaking opening weekend. And it's funny that I'm reading this article um, three days later, ten years later. <laughs> anyway, the, to the local and greater vampire community, the piece was not exactly an accurate depiction of how they lived. It also didn't reflect the broadcast ABC. This is a typo in this article. Hold on. Let me restructure the sentence. Okay, it, it also didn't reflect the broadcast that ABC had led the New Orleans vampire community to believe would air, one which would have included a demonstration of safe feeding practices and wound care, as well as any mention of their local charity work with the homeless. Thus, much, much of my quote-unquote mission, as I would later explain in interviews with the BBC and Washington Post, became simply to rectify this injustice by documenting for myself the behaviors and practices the 2020 broadcast left out. This section is called The Real Real Vampires. And then this is, yeah, so this is the last section. Using data gathered over five years of work in New Orleans and Buffalo, New York, I hope to offer geographically specific behavioral and sociocultural insights to the participants, ultimately getting at what made the vampires at one site different from another site. I felt that geography could offer the most salient information about the intricacies of the real vampire identity. In the end, the lives of real vampires in different locations became a focus for my research. Now, let me add my personal note here. I did not read this article before I started talking about reading a map and trying to triangulate where I saw this castle in the California foothills. So even he's talking about geographical locations and differences. So related to vampirism. Continuing, it says, the body of work dealing with real vampirism has been steadily growing since the early 1980s, especially in the last nine years. The work of Joseph Laycock, DJ Williams, and Mark Benneke. Yeah, Benneke or Benek? Benneke, I think it's Benneke, are prominent examples, but no study had attempted to explore this identity at a local level to ascertain whether geography and local culture played a role. What my findings eventually showed was that vampire self-identification in New Orleans offered a sharp contrast to how real vampires shaped their identity in Buffalo. In particular, local cultural norms seem to be important. One doesn't easily walk the streets of Buffalo sporting fangs as they would in New Orleans. Sorry about that background noise. Even more striking was the prominence of local group affiliation in New Orleans, where many vampires had organized into houses, quote-unquote houses, complete with a hierarchical, hierarchical system of elders and members. By comparison, Buffalo, a city seemingly without a centralized or focalizing neighborhood like the French Quarter, seemed to cater more to independence than individuality. As I endeavored, to truly understand without further sensationalizing this enigmatic community, I found that the real vampire identity ultimately achieves 
I found that what the real vampire identity ultimately achieves is a measure of self-empowerment. It's something I've termed, quote-unquote, defiant culture, and it manifests itself in other marginalized communities the world over. Real vampirism is a way for people who might not fit into normal societal boxes to construct an identity and face a world that frequently shuns more than it embraces. While my research has worked to shed light on how deviant communities develop within repressive systems, it has also awakened one of its most familiar adversaries, people who marginalize whatever is outside their own experience. To outsiders, real vampires' consumption of human blood or energy is not their greatest crime, but that they are a proud living critique of norm but that they are a proud living critique of normalcy is. In the glamorous world of Hollywood, as indeed in real life, we, we fear dark places. We fear the unknown. But for these real vampires, there is safety in the shadows, in anonymity. Perhaps their supposedly grim nature is simply a reflection of our own darkness. So I want to thank you for listening. I will do more podcast episodes on this topic. I hope you have a great day.